Hey church, how are you going? Awesome. If we haven't met, my name's Daz. Um, it is such an honour. Thank you, Dave, for the invite to share the word this morning. I, um, in my role, I get to serve different churches. Uh, and I've been here for a year, which just seems really strange that this is the church we've been a part of for a year because of COVID. Uh, in fact, bizarrely, we had our home group this week and uh, we are in Revelation um, right where we need to be. But funnily, we were like, when did we last look at this? Uh, oh, it was a year ago. <laughs> so it's really hard to understand time, uh, really hard to understand lots of things at the moment. And I just want to acknowledge that, you know, we've all come from different uh, places this morning. Uh, and I'm just going to pray that God would uh, cause us to be attentive. Um, yeah, Father, you know us. You actually made every single person in here and you love them more than they can know. And so I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning, you would give us attentiveness, uh, that we would hear you. Uh, I pray you would protect my words, uh, help them be your words, uh, and help my brothers and sisters sift that and drop what's not you and take what is you. Um, in this time, we ask that you would speak to us because you're the God who speaks. Uh, you're always speaking and problems are hearing. And so I ask that you would unstick our ears this morning and you would soften our hearts this morning to hear the things of you and that delight and joy and love would permeate this room in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Um, so this morning I'm speaking on Sabbath and um, as I was saying, really quite bizarre, when COVID first struck, um, I had this word in my head which was jubilee. And I don't really know exactly what that was except I had an idea that it had to do with Sabbaths and seven sevens and the 50th year. And, I, and so I had this thought, um, I don't know why, but I thought the invitation was actually to rest. There's been lots of trauma around COVID and lots of things, but I actually felt at a macro larger level, there was an invitation to rest and I didn't take it. And most people I know didn't take it. In fact, many of us overfunctioned, <laughs> trying to compensate for what was. And I was looking at what Jubilee was and it's this 50th year celebration. So um, in the nation of Israel, every seventh year was a Sabbath. And then seven sevens, seven years of Sabbath, you would have this rest that followed by Jubilee, the 50th year. So you actually got two years of rest. And so I thought to myself, well, what is it then that we would be resting from? So I worked backwards and said, okay, what happened 49 years ago that maybe we were being invited to rest? And quite fascinatingly, the microprocessor, it really interesting what was developed 49, 50 years ago was technology in a new way. We've always had technologies coming, but I, I had this sense that the human was becoming more machine, not like in a cyborg way, just as in we were functioning more like machines and less like humans. And that had, be, that had begun really with the advent of the microprocess and all the things that added around technology. And I, I, I'm 45, so I grew up in, you know, born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s, and I, I remember playing Atari, you know, I remember, you know, all these things. I'm watching my kids now, you know, and the constancy of the screen. The, the human is becoming more machine and what we were meant to have serve us, we've ended up serving. So the posture isn't, let's just ditch this thing, but how does it be reframed as something that serves us again? Because I'm fine, I'll share this in a bit, because I, I found with myself, I was a slave to this thing. And what ceases to become a servant becomes a tyrant. And if you want to think of a prototypical tyrant in scripture or any ruler in the world right now, they're pharaohs. And the whole system of pharaoh is based on anxiety. 
That's what rulers rely on, anxiety in a system. I'll get to that. So, um, I'm feeling this sense of being more machine than human and enter the idea of Sabbath. Now, I was raised thinking that Sabbath was a practice of history and in my evangelical upbringing, it was like, no, no, don't even bother with the Sabbath. Jesus fulfilled it. Jesus did it. Just kill yourself for Jesus. That's really your role. That wasn't working too well, though. And there was only one sacrifice sufficient, and Jesus has done it. So this didn't make a lot of sense to me. But, and I watched a lot of burnout and Protestant work ethic, and literally there's an epidemic of burnout in particularly ministering people. So I was like, no, that can't be right. I don't think that's right. There's something about this idea of Sabbath we've missed. And fascinatingly, a guy I'll mention named Mortar Brueggemann, which I think was a fave of Bredo from last week, he says, actually, the fourth... The Sabbath is the fourth command. So there's a couple of things about Sabbath. Sabbath is a design principle. It's woven into the cosmos and into creation. And God did it. So something to think about. God did it. God rested on the seventh day. It becomes an ordinance for the people of Israel. It becomes the fourth commandment, we know. Now, fascinatingly, Brueggemann says this. The first three commands are... I feel like I'm going to fall through the floor. I hope I don't. If I do, the, the first three commandments are about God... And the, the last six are about the neighbor. And as, how, does this, how does the law get summarized in the New Testament? Love God, love neighbor. But the bridge commandment is Sabbath. It's the fourth one. I thought that was absolutely fascinating. There is something about Sabbath utterly missed in my upbringing. So I began investigating a bit more around this. And it has been hit and miss, I'll say. I have sometimes kept Sabbath, sometimes not. Sabbath attracts a form of legalism as well. The Judeans of the day around Jesus' time added 39 rules to this day called the Sabbath. It attracts that. However, um, it is something to be pursued. And I've sometimes worked, I've bribed my kids to try and do it, you know, and I'll I'll, I'll get to that. But because I wanted them to see delight, you know, I wanted them to see something of joy because Sabbath is meant to be about joy and delight. And right now I'm standing before you a little bit embarrassed because I'm really on my L's with this. You know, I've, I've been doing this for five years, and, and that's not really that long, and, and hit and miss. So I say that because there's no such thing as perfection in this regard, but it is such a gift, and that's what I hope you will walk away with. Um, so experimenting with Sabbath, at the very present moment in my world, I Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday, and it's not that I want to, I do, I need to. I actually need to do this. If I don't, I won't make it, because this world is ruthless. And many of us will have roles where it's just ruthless. The tyranny of now and time, it's brutal. So there's three things I want to say about, we're talking about rest uh, and Sabbath. I think it was Sabbath rest. Um, But there's three things around this idea of Sabbath that I wanted to share because rest is one of them. But resistance, which is the language of Walter Brueggemann, who Brett mentioned last week, Sabbath is resistance and it's restorative. And I want to unpack three of those things, rest, resistance and restorative. And the first one's rest. Um, Isaiah 30, 15. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. So the question is, what is rest? And that was, this is the biggest learning I've had around rest. And it came from a theologian named John Walton. He said this, rest is not leisure. Rest is entering into the security and safety of God. Rest is not leisure. Rest is entering into the security and safety of God. 
It, was, it profoundly changes the way you read the scripture, profoundly the, the way you view rest. And I actually then had to do this little look through the scripture and go, oh, okay, what, 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 what might rest? And when rest pops up, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. I'm literally in 2 Corinthians 7. I'll read it to you. Uh, this is just where I happen to be at the moment. A little bit past it, but 2 Corinthians 7. Um, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians about his trip in Macedonia. He says, when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. As we were instead afflicted in every way, battles without and fears within. I get that. There's things from without and things within. And I'm not getting rest. I get that. Not quite like Paul, who was beaten, shipwrecked, and had many things going on. But I found this fascinating because he then goes on at the end of this chapter and he says, and in addition to our comfort, we rejoice still more abundantly in Titus's joy, this is when Titus arrived, because his spirit has been given rest by all of you. So this is what I found, and there's probably more, but interestingly, there's at least three kinds of rest in the New Testament, and I really think it's worth unpacking them, um, because this is, this, these are the words that we get. Um, oh, one thing I wanted to say, actually, <laughs> um, Hebrews talks about rest, um, Rest is something that we receive, something we enter, maybe even something we wear. Because Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And he talks about being restful with him and an easy burden. So rest is something you enter, wear, receive, but not grab. You don't grab rest. And this is fascinating because if you go back to Genesis and all the way to the garden, you would say the biggest problem, this is my biggest problem, is grabbing when I must take something. This is what we did. We took from the tree instead of receiving. God was offering everything there and he said, just don't take from that tree. And we did. And in fact, the prevention then to the tree of life was lest they reach out their hand and grab. So there is a tendency to grab. And I have recently experienced this tendency with rest to try and grab something but I just wanted to say that it's received. So in the New Testament, that rest that I just read then that Paul doesn't get, I think that's really worth noting, we may not get that rest. You might not have bodily rest. I'm gonna read you what the definition of that word rest is. It's insane, in the Greek it's anesis, and here's the definition. The relaxation of the rigor of confinement. <laughs> I couldn't believe that. The relaxation of the rigor of confinement? I've just been locked in a room for nine months. I totally get that. That's insane. That's this kind of rest you may not get. There's a bodily component to it. Uh, and lots of times in the scriptures, you may not get it. That's worth noting because if you're like me and you've thought that rest is leisure and that it's a bodily thing only, you will be very disappointed because you may not get it. And then you wonder what you're doing wrong. You may get it. You just may not. But the rest that you will get, this is what Jesus offers, and it's called anapeo. For you, those of you who speak Greek, I may not be saying that right, but uh, here's the definition of anapeo, this rest that Jesus offers, in, in the one in, I mentioned in Matthew 11. It means, ana means completing a process, and pao means pause, completing a process of pause. That's exactly what Jesus gives us, the ability to pause and to complete that process. Now, do you remember when Dave was preaching a few weeks ago, or maybe months ago, on the feeding of the 5,000? And he says, come away with me and rest. I remember thinking, but they don't get rest. <laughs> they have to then go and feed 5,000. Two things popped in regards to that. What if rest was on the way with Jesus? 
What if it was in the boat? And what if Walton's definition is right? The security and safety of God. What did everyone just see? Jesus multiplying from, from loaves and fish to feed 5,000. If there's ever you wanted to see Jesus' security and control, the way the kingdom works, it's there. So I thought that was fascinating because both of those components of rest. But again, they didn't get bodily rest. They were quite weary. Quite weary. So I just want to say that invitation to rest is the kind that Jesus gives. I think it's a bit more interior and a bit more spirit. Then there's the final rest. Hebrews talks about this, and the word is katapao, which means your final rest. And Hebrews 4 says, strive to enter that. This rest is your final entry into the security and safety of God in the new creation. Astounding. The whole enterprise seems to be about rest, but we live in an anxious system. Now, I want to say this. Dave read Psalm 18 last week about spacious places. Sabbath is about creating a spacious place. Fascinating. Do you know what the Hebrew word for space is? Yeshah. The same root word for Yeshua, for Jesus. In the name of Jesus is spaciousness. Amazing. And then the exact opposite is Zarah. And Zarah means a constriction, a tightening around. Think of a yoke, what the oxen wore. It is anxiety, the exact opposite. So even Jesus is always offering you spacious places. So rest is clearly a component of Sabbath. It might not be physical, but it's certainly in spirit. So we need to have practices that help us, and I will get to that. But the, third, the second thing was Sabbath as resistance, and I love this. If you've read Walter Brueggemann's book called Sabbath as Resistance, I don't know if anyone has, it's awesome. It's really good. Because he actually talks about various ways that the anxiety system of Pharaoh to get us to keep making bricks, Sabbath is a stop. It says no to the mindset of nowism. There is an amazing theologian at Regent, her name is Sarah Williams, and she said, if you think along time, as, a, as it's not a line, but if you think of it like that, at the moment we're living in a little box on our timeline and the horizons forward and backward have been blocked. It feels like, and I literally am going, yes, because I'm in my room for nine months. I get it. It feels like a box. But the problem with your horizon is that that's very narrow, very now, and very anxious. So drop that, and you see your horizons. Horizons forward and horizons backward. And I think the horizon backward is the faithfulness of God, the testimonies of God's goodness in your life. And we need spaces to cultivate that. And again, Sabbath is invitation to do that. Think on the faithfulness of God. Because often we're too busy in the now. And then there's this bit forward, your eternal home. How often do we curate spaces where we are thinking about our eternal home? Because that's where we're all headed. I was listening to a Benedictine monk named Thomas Merton. Insane. I'm listening to his talk from 1962. He's talking about Russia, China, and bombs. I couldn't believe it, 1962. But he has this throwaway line. And he says, oh, by the way, to the monks that he's training, um, meditate on your death regularly. Thomas Merton died bizarrely at 50. He had quite a weird sense of humor. But he was trying to say to his monks, have constant consciousness of the last things. This is Benedictine spirituality. But he says, you do this so you have your death, judgment, heaven, and hell regularly before you. We don't do that but he's saying you must. It is important to have your eternity before you. It's where you're headed kind of forever. <laughs> so 
how do you, well, you need curated spaces to do that. So Sabbath, then, is a resistance to the now. You must do, know, buy, have, see, think now. Sabbath says, no, I don't need to. I don't need to know. I don't need to see. I don't need to buy. I don't need to think. I can just be. What a gift. (laughs) What a gift. Because this narrowness of now is, and I think we all know it and experience it, quite anxiety-producing. So Sabbath is a resistance to that. In a world that says, I think the word is a mechanized consumer world, you know, it's this idea that you are just beasts of burden that consume and work and that's all you do. As Merton also said, we just seem to maintain the machine with little time for anything else. And we don't value this pause. We don't. We go, I could be doing so much more efficiency than spending time doing nothing on the Sabbath. And that's got a crack, <laughs> or we will. That belief, that reality, it, this was the conviction that I had. Sabbath is a design principle. Jesus said it. Sabbath was made for human, not the human for the Sabbath. It was made for you. It's a gift for you to have these spacious places to do nothing where nothing is required of you, nothing is demanded of you. Six days a week, lots is demanded of you, but not this day. This day is to the Lord. This day is about you becoming more human. So I definitely see this resistance to the nowism. I'm going to read you a rabbi, Abraham Herschel. He's got a book called Sabbath. Fascinating, honestly beautiful. That's where I got this idea of delight from, that Sabbath is meant to be joyful and delightful. And this is what Abraham Herschel says. They who want to enter the holiness of the Sabbath day must first lay down the profanity of clattering commerce of being yoked to toil. They must go away from the screech of dissonant days, from the nervousness and fury of acquisitiveness, constant purchasing, and the betrayal in bezeling his own life. They must say farewell to manual work and learn to understand that the world has already been created and it will survive without the help of man. Six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth, but on the Sabbath... We especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our souls belong to someone else. Six days a week, we seek to dominate the world. And on the seventh day, we try to dominate the self. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. It's, it's <laughs> the resistance to now. There's a resistance to speed. And you're going to resist yourself. God's going to have to pin you to the mat. And that actually happened to me. That's why I said we don't grab rest. Um, I didn't get, I had the weirdest start to the year. I split it, my, my, one, my daughter here and my wife was at home. I had to go away with two of my other daughters. This was a, an isolation thing. And I'm laying on a friend's mattress on their lounge room, uncomfortable, going, this is meant to be my summer break. And here I am on a floor, on a mattress, and, and this is a difficult environment. I, I love this family more than anything. And this, as this, um, we've grown up with these children, and he has autism, one of the sons, and it's pretty severe. And it was pretty horrifying to watch what he was doing to himself. And, and so I'm sitting there going, woe is me, and all the echoing voices saying, but you deserve a break. You, come on, you've worked so hard. Yeah, I do. Where is it? Where's this break coming? And God said, literally, as I'm pinned on this mattress on the floor. Is this really about you? Ah, oh, such a kind rebuke from the Lord. <laughs> oh, how do I think again? This is all about me. And it was fascinating how the reframe into service, into thinking about the others and how I might be present in a different way, totally changed my energy levels. 
It's insane. That was the kind of rest. God, God's saying, I have this, and this isn't about you. Follow me. You can't make your plans and know what's happening. I've got you here. It was just such a beautiful moment, but I'm trying to grab my rest. I'm trying to steal my rest. Or to, God's not got that plan for me. The plan was an interior kind of rest. So you will find, if you decide to take the Sabbath as a principle, you'll wrestle yourself because you'll have all these thoughts coming in. That's why there's disciplines that go around it to help you, like silence and solitude, because <laughs> you're constantly having these narratives saying, come on, do something, function, you're lazy. All the scripts, these interior scripts, will come up and harass you. And so you have to learn that. Now, the resistance there comes also against evil. Fascinating. When the Sabbath came for Israel, there was no such thing as a class. Poor, rich, male, female, nothing. And it's fascinating that in Christ, all those dividing walls of hostility have broken down. On the Sabbath day, everyone, everyone, there's provisions for this. If you're poor, if you're, everyone gets to experience rest. But here's the thing that Satan does, quite clever. He accuses, and that name, it's interesting, this is the name of Satan, the Katagiros, and it's where we get the word categories from, which is fascinating. Because he's trying to get you all the time to think about these categories, label people as categories instead of image bearers. Because then you do, you judge them. And we do it to ourselves. We have these categories of I'm not performing or I'm not. All scripts, all wounds from out. And this is when Paul says, you know, fears within and battles without. In, in moments of Sabbath, this is why I love the ideas of science and solitude outside of Sabbath. Because in those spaces, you are learning the familiar to hear God's voice slow down enough to hear God's voice and battle those scripts. We've all got them. Every one of us has these scripts that keep coming at you're not enough or you're too much. All of these scripts will come. And we are so afraid of silence. We are so afraid of being on our own, we will do anything but be there. That's why we're addicted to our phones. By the way, you can grayscale it, I just learned. If you want to see it, see my phone. It's really interesting. One of the guys I mentor is reading a book by John Mark Comer. And you can make your phone grey, which is fascinating because you don't have all the colour and all the endorphins and stimulants that go with it. It really does change the way you view your phone. Anyway, that's a tangent. Um, so we're resisting speed. You've got to practice surrender because you've got to give yourself over to God. It's not always easy in that sense, but Sabbath is resistance. And I just want to say, I believe that Sabbath is probably one of the most profound witnesses of the kingdom in this day and age because... If we have anxiety in the church, I'm worried about hyper-anxiety in the church, actually. When I go to churches and I see hyper-anxiety, it makes me anxious. And I've had weird things happen. I've been called up, I've been punched with water bottles because I didn't fall down on the ground, slain in the spirit. All sorts of things have happened. And I kind of go, guys, I don't think that's God. I'm sorry, but God's not anxious. And if he wants me on the floor, he'll put me there, and that's okay. Like, I'll let him do that. But please don't punch me with your water bottle. Like, that's just really weird. And sound with a microphone. Because there are anxiousness in the church, and we, we are not that. There's no need to be anxious in the church. And I believe this restful posture will carry on into the rest of your week. See, remember Dave said, he quoted a few weeks ago, we work from our rest, not rest from our work. And I was thinking about this. This is my honest experience of Sabbath. I, I first time I do it, second time I do it, third time, it's not good. <laughs> because I keep wrestling, I keep having these narratives, doubts, fears, all these things. It feels like a bit of, actually feels like a bit of work. And that's why I think it's, as a, again, a design principle. It's meant to be weekly. Like, it is meant to be something you regularly do. And by the, by the time you get there, what's fascinating is you find you enter the stream. And I don't know how to explain that to you. 
like if you haven't experienced that, like if you haven't tried chocolate, I can't tell you what it tastes like, right? I just, you know, it's that. It's, there's something sweet and beautiful and delightful in this where you enter this state of going, I am at rest. I have learned to, as the psalmist says, quieten my soul. I am at rest here. And that is a gift. And I believe that posture is going to be one of the biggest witnesses to this world who is flooded with anxiety, mental health issues and other things. It's everywhere through the roof because the pace of life is way too fast for the human. The soul moves way slower than the body and we are not running at the pace of the soul. We are running at the pace of the body and everyone's anxious. (laughs) In fact, one guy I was reading calls this time now the super anxiety. Not just anxiety, a super anxiety. And it's interesting when you think about the brain in that space, because you've got your prefrontal cortex, your middle and your lower brain, and the lower brain, the lower stem brain, the amygdala, is actually, it's where you do your reactive kind of response, it's your fight-flight kind of mode. That is pretty much how we're living as a society, in the amygdala, down here, reactive, because we're stressed and we're on fight-and-flight mode, whereas the prefrontal is thinking, and that's again what Sabbath offers you, a spacious place for you to do your thinking, (laughs) you know, to do that work. It's beautiful. Anyway... Uh, Sabbath as restorative. Oh, I meant to hit the timer. Am I doing okay? Have I got five more minutes or something? Great. Oh, sorry, I meant to hit... T- I even changed my watch face to, to hit a timer and I didn't hit the timer because I just waffle and forget where I am. Um, Sabbath as restorative was the third one. Um, I just want to say one thing as I'm bridging next. I think this is important. Um, and I've got this book, if anyone... you know, It's called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And if anyone wants to read it, highly recommend it. In here, a sociologist, Philip Reef, says this, humanity's gone by its epochs, and he calls it political man, religious man, economic man, man meaning human, economic man, and then psychological man. And what he's saying is in each of these histories in humanity, think of, you know, Socratic, all that sort of, think of early Greece, politics, your identity was in your politics. Think of the Middle Ages, your identity was in your religion. Think of enlightenment, industrial, your identities in your economics. Now, in this age, we are in the psychological self. So your identity is in your psychological categories. Fascinating, because I think that's absolutely true. And if you want to meditate on the idea of what would that mean to integrate technology and psychology, and I think we're going there, the metaverse. It's going to be insane because I think the human is going to become, I believe, way more machine-like because we're putting our identities in psychological selves. Less, like, think about this. All the wealthy people you know, you don't hear them boasting about their wealth. You hear them boasting about who they are, their identity and their psychological self. So it's good to know that that's the world we kind of live in and therefore, again, I see Sabbath as resistance. Okay, cool? I think I've said enough about Sabbath as resistance. Okay, Sabbath as restorative. Abraham Herschel says, Sabbath is delight. Do all the things on the Sabbath that bring you joy and delight. And that's why I bribed the kids. And I said, I actually bought into the consumer machine. I gave them money and I said, go and buy any lollies you like. This was like five years ago, a bit younger. So so not only did they get to walk in freedom down the street to the corner shop, they actually got to buy any lollies they wanted. And so that was (laughs) was my way of trying to introduce to them, hey, you know what, Sabbath is delight. Because here was my fear that I would create a day that became so legalistic and boring, that's what they thought of God. The the mandates of God are boring and no, anything in him is joy. But but according to your age, right? According to age and stage, because this is the thing, we all mature, we all experience by our decades different understandings of God. So I didn't feel too guilty that I bought into the consumer machine by letting them buy lollies. 
but was trying to say the things of God are delightful. And so what happens in the restorative component is that in Sabbath, in rest, you are restored to your humanity. What a gift. Sabbath is restorative. This rest is restorative. Um, if, if we ask the question, how am I more human, that, that is the place where you will become more human. What I found interesting is that on the Sabbath, because we're restoring, I think the primary thing of being human is relationship. And so what is restored is our relationship to God because it's slow. Some say he's like the five mile an hour God, <laughs> but we're going at this speed. So how do you slow down enough? So you're restoring your relationship with him because it becomes not about what you do for God. This is something I've had to be careful of today. I had to, you can imagine I wanted to run through this talk yesterday right on my Sabbath, but now I'm going to resist that. I'll just accept God that I might say weird things and because I trust you, I've got to lay down this sort of a work. Because Sabbath is about restoring my relationship with you, not what I do for you, but about being with you, enjoying you, delighting in the things of you. So it restores, but it also restores your relationships with others. It's, and that's the thing, it's not, you can't have legalism. I, I remember chatting with a guy and he was saying, oh, look, I can't catch up with you on that weekend because I'm, I'm Sabbathing. And I remember thinking, what an odd thing to say. Sabbath isn't anti-relational. <laughs> that's not a design principle in Sabbath. We can hang out, you know, and actually, I, I, I think the more pragmatic your relationships with others are, the more you should hang out with them on the Sabbath, because you're now not making it a utility. Your relationship isn't pragmatism and utilitarian, it is, I don't know, just want to hang with you. No real reason, no real outcome, I just want to be with you. And I think that, again, is the gift of Sabbath, because no one's making demands, no one says we have to do this or that. And that's where you might find leisure things come in. You know, I, with one of our home group, I sup on Saturday mornings. Love it. It's not a pragmatic relationship. We just hang out in the water. It's beautiful. So I think Sabbath offers this restoration to your humanity. And we lose if we don't take it. Um, I, think that's what I'll, I think that's what I'll say for time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize <laughs> the three things for you that I would love for you to walk away with, right? And then I'll give you some, some tools that I've used. I would love you to walk away with this that the Sabbath is good, that in fact it was designed for you, that it offers true rest even when leisure and bodily rest are not available to you, and it is something received, something entered, something given and offered but never grabbed. The Sabbath as resistance is resistance to a culture in the tyranny of now, of Pharaoh's anxiety system of make more bricks, and I believe this is a powerful witness to the way of the kingdom, what the rule and reign of Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, what it looks like under his rule and his reign. It is highly attractive to a world on speed and it slows the soul to a, a pace that you can hear, that you can see, and that you can give thanks. The Sabbath is restorative, it allows you to become more fully human and more intimate with God and others. It is about being, not doing, and it's about time. If you like exploring this stuff, absolutely fascinating. Sabbath is about time, not space. Because six days a week, you're trying to do stuff with space. Sabbath is about time and a reclaiming of time. And it is a window into your eternity and a place for you to think about the eternal realities. Okay. We're going to do something together, a little micro-strategy, but before, um, here's some things that I've learned about the Sabbath. Do something you never do 
on the Sabbath. That's helpful. Do something you never do, you've thought about doing and wanted to do. But also, do something you always do, but differently. Do it slower. Go a different way. Drive, walk, whatever. Because, as Dave said, if you are to work from your rest, the atmosphere of Sabbath can carry into your week and then carry into your Sabbath and then carry into your week and it's cumulative. This is my experience of that. And so you will bring the peacefulness and the quietude and the sureness of God's sovereignty in the Sabbath into your working week. So helpful then, if you do a practice, you always do during the week because you will bring that with you. That atmosphere of Sabbath will come with you. Um, the other thing is to start small. Learn in the micro. The way I started this was staring at a fire because my mind was just so active. I needed to work out a way to slow it down. And the way I did that was staring at a fire and trying to empty my mind of any thoughts. And, just, and then all the monkeys come, you know, and you've got to learn to deal with that. But staring at a fire was something beautiful and profoundly stilling. And that helped me learn this discipline. Like I said to you, that place where you know that you're at rest. Can't describe it to you with words. It's just you know you're at rest. Do it small. Two, day, two minutes a day. Every one of us can afford two minutes a day, and I think that micro-strategy is really helpful for the macro-strategy. If you want to think about a Sabbath every week, and then months and years and so on, if you want to have it scaled, really helpful to go in the micro. Be careful of legalism. It can creep in, and suddenly you start feeling guilty, not the point. Um, and if you've got kids, this is what I found really hard with kids, because you can't really force it, and even now I don't in my family. It's something I do, and I hope that by my change, by the differentiation of myself, this is family systems thinking, but if I change, my family will feel the benefit of that. So I don't need to force anything, but I can invite. But when you've got kids, this is really hard. <laughs> so I think whatever practice you can do to share between, get help. If you're a single mum, whatever you can do to try and get help to get space on a day to learn, increase that time alone with God without any feeling you have to do something. So rare in this world, there's nowhere that you get this other than Sabbath. And feel the freedom of the days you choose. That's the final thing I'll say. Um, Colossians 2, Paul's quite clear, whether it's a Sabbath day, a full moon festival, whatever it is, feel full freedom for you to celebrate that day as you see fit. I do, I was said to you, I do Fridays and Saturdays because I can, because it works, but it may be a different day that you do. And that's something to consider. Could I, because you can still exit the machine of now and the consumption, and you can still have time with God, do all the things we've said, but it could be Tuesday. So just, just feel the full freedom. The other thing I'll say, Avril, Kim and I and others went to the Holy Land just before COVID. There was nothing more powerful than watching a city shut down, like shut down. Uh, maybe some of you are old enough to remember we did that on Sundays in Australia, but there was nothing open. The streets were empty. It was beautiful. And we went to this Jewish, it was weird, went to this Jewish family's house. The guy was kind of weird, like really weird, but it was one of the most joyful nights we've had. And we went through the process of what a Jewish Sabbath would go through. It was absolutely beautiful. One of my favorite experiences in the Holy Land. We had wine, we had food, good conversation. I really believe we entered something. And that to me is almost this mystery. I can't give you the words around that. I think like a lot of things in the Christian life, you just obey. <laughs> you don't always know why or see why I have the right. You just obey. And I believe Sabbath is something God's asking us to do. It is a command. It remains. The word of the Lord remains forever. Not one dot or it is going to be removed and I think it's communal. That's probably my invitation to us to go, how would we do this communally? Because it's really hard to do on your own because everyone rings you and <laughs> you've got to have way more, you know, on my Saturdays, I've got to make sure my phone is usually not near me. So how do we end up doing this together as a community to say, what might practices of Sabbath and rest look like for us? What a great conversation to have.
So now, if you're brave enough, as I finish this time, let's do a little one of those micro moments together. So if you feel safe enough, I'll get you to close your eyes. And as you're closing your eyes, I do want you to think about uh, a favorite place that you like to be. I don't mind if that's snow, ocean, on the ocean, on the sand, in a wilderness. But if you could just, in your mind's eye, just, just know that you're seated here in Kingsway Church and your feet are on the ground and you're sitting in a chair. You're an embodied soul, but your mind is now starting to activate this imaginative space where you are in a landscape that you know brings you joy. It's a place where you can breathe. It's a spacious place. And as you're there, there may be other people around you, but suddenly you become conscious there is presence with you. And this presence is actually Jesus who is with you in this landscape and in this moment. And you may hear words from Jesus. I'm going to leave two minutes of silence and you may hear words from him. You may hear, you are my beloved child. I'm so pleased with you. You may hear, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you a future and hope. You may hear from this presence of Jesus, I, I will never leave you or forsake you. And if you feel brave enough in this two-minute pause we're about to have while you're sitting in this space, maybe you could turn to Jesus and see his face looking at you with absolute delight. From Zephaniah, he is singing over you with delight. So maybe in this space, you could view him. I'm going to leave two minutes of silence for you to be with Jesus in this space, and then I'll call us back by praying. So two minutes of silence, and I'll time that. So Father, as we come out of these imaginative spaces uh, with you, um, just conscious of the scripture that says we don't need to be anxious about anything, you have it. Jesus, we acknowledge that you sit on the throne, you rule, and you have, I just had that image, Jesus, that you said, our Father knows when a sparrow falls, your attentiveness to creation is way more than we could know. And I pray for each of my brothers and sisters here for spacious places for them going into this week, um, places where they know that they are loved far more than they could hope or imagine. I do pray that the peace that you offer that passes all understanding would guard their hearts and minds in you, Christ Jesus. And I pray that there would be such joy and delight in following your ways, Jesus. All your ways are right. All your ways are good. So help us see them and follow them. Even as I started to pray, Lord, I do pray for attentiveness for us, that we would see the moments that you're calling us into, these spacious places to be with you, to love you and to love others. Thank you for the gift of our time this morning, and we give you thanks in your good name, Jesus. Amen.